0: And so some of you are asking the question right now, why are we turning to the book of Ezekiel? And the answer is, is that we don't live in a vacuum where it's just us and God and whatever came before us is irrelevant and whatever comes after us is irrelevant. No, but we are just part of an unfolding of redemptive history. And we are God. We are wonderful recipients of the grace of God, and the way that God deals with His people in the past is very helpful to us to understand how He deals with us and the beauty in which He deals with us right now. And so, in the book of Ezekiel, this is a this is right here somewhere in the neighborhood of 575 B.C. 575 B.C. It's... It's like um, 400 years after David lived and reigned as king over Israel. Now, what's very important is for us to understand a couple of things. Is that God has related to His people and communicated His people in shepherding language and sheep language throughout the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, there are over 750 times we read in the Bible about sheep and shepherds. And and David, in 1 Samuel 17, when the people of Israel are are being intimidated by Goliath and the Philistines, David volunteers to go up against the Philistines, and King Saul is like, you can't go. I mean, this this giant has has been a warrior, and, and you're not a warrior. You're just a little kid. And David actually comes back and says, listen, I'm a shepherd. And I have tended sheep and lambs. And when the bear and the lion came in the way and stole some of the lambs and sheep, I went after the lion and the sheep and I struck them down and I saved our flock. And just as I came in between the sheep and the lion and the bear, I will go between this Philistine and I will strike him down like I struck them down. David was a shepherd. And and what we find is that not only was he a shepherd of sheep, but he ultimately became a shepherd of the people of Israel. And then things went bad. Uh, Idolatry happened. Uh, Kings started serving themselves rather than serving the people and then the people of Israel divide, and then they get conquered, and they get dispersed, and over a period of 400 years or so, now they're in Babylon, and, and, and now they, they, they've, been, uh, they've been divided, they've been at odds with one another, they, they've lost the temple, they've lost the city, they've lost the continuity of families worshiping, worshiping the Lord together, and things are awry. And God sends Ezekiel, a prophet and a priest, to give a message to the people of God. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, this is the message that God has for His under-shepherds, the priests, the prophets, the leaders of the people of Israel. Look down at verse 2. It says, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Verse 10. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep From their mouths, that they may not be food for the shepherds. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. Verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. If you fast forward 600 years from this chapter, what you find is the same problem and the same scenario that is going on among the people of Israel in Ezekiel's day. God's leaders, the people of God's shepherds, are feeding on the sheep, slaughtering the sheep, fleecing the sheep, using the sheep, and abusing the sheep right in Jerusalem and all around the area of Judea and up into Galilee. And into that scene walks Jesus of Nazareth. And what we have found out in the Gospel of John is that Jesus comes and as a great shepherd, what does He do? He feeds the sheep. 5,000 people are gathered. They have nothing to eat and Jesus provides food for them. He heals the sheep. There's a, a man who's born blind right in chapter 9. And all the, the, the bad shepherds, these fleecing, slaughtering shepherds are concerned about is whose fault is it and wh- what are we going to do about the person who's trying to help them? We, we, we've got to put him down. We've got to quiet his family because we don't want to have anything to do with them. And Jesus walks in and He heals that blind man and makes him see. He's a good shepherd, and in He's a good shepherd, we read some weeks ago when He restored the ability of the lame man to walk. He bound him up, He healed him, and He blessed him. Listen, I want to tell you something. Jesus, as we've seen in the first nine chapters of the Gospel of John, is the antithesis of the shepherds who are in Israel during His day. And on top of this, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. I am the light of the world, Jesus has already said. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I'm the bread of life. He's even said before Abraham was, what? I am. And so that is the scene that we walk into in chapter 10. And church, let let us understand this is a significant moment in the ministry of Jesus and what my prayer is is that this will be a significant moment in each of our lives this morning. And so, bear with me as we read the Word of God one more time from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, That man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before Me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If, if anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these aren't the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's ask God for grace for a moment. Father, we ask for the grace of illumination in this moment that you will show us your glory and that we will be able to enjoy it, live in it, and find great satisfaction in the pastures of your love for us as a good shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there are really two aspects to this passage. The first is the picture that Jesus paints, and then the positions that Jesus holds. Okay? So we think about this passage, and then we think about how we are to respond to this passage, let's think about it in the picture that he paints and then the positions that he holds, okay? So first, let's just talk about this picture that Jesus paints with his words here. It's a very common picture, as I said, 750 times in the Bible, sheep and shepherding. Why? Because this society is an agrarian society. It's agriculture, it's animals, it's sheep, it's tending flocks, it's caring for herds, it's taking care of the ground, it's planting seeds, that's what they knew. And so that's the metaphor and the figurative language that Jesus uses. And so, He paints this picture that every one of them would be familiar with. Sheep. Okay? One of the things that we need to understand about sheep is that sheep are, 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 are the most helpless defenseless, needy animal that you're going to find in the Middle East and in Palestine during that time. They, they, they don't think very well and they need constant oversight if they're going to survive. I read a few years ago about a herd of sheep. There were more than 200 of them and a shepherd in the Middle East walked into town in order to get some supplies for himself and when he came back, every one of the sheep had walked off the cliff to their death because one sheep led the way and another one followed after another one after another one. And they weren't just his herd. He was, carrying, take, he was taking care of about three different people's flocks and every one of those sheep had died. That's just the neighbor of sheep. Okay? Now, he says, okay, there's this group of sheep. And... What would happen here is that you would have shepherd over a flock of 30, a shepherd over a flock of 50, a shepherd over a flock of 10, a shepherd over a flock of 70. And they would go out every day and these shepherds would tend to the sheep and provide them green pasture and take them to the water and oversee them and make sure that they were getting replenished and nourished and blessed and and protected and all of those things. But at night all these various shepherds who owned these particular flocks would come back into the village and there would be one sheep pen. Only one. And they would usher in individually their particular sheep and the sh- and the shepherds would actually look at every single sheep on its way through the door and would make sure that it was okay, that it was healthy, and it would even call it by name. And then it would go in and then all these various flocks would come in together and and the gate would be closed, the door would be closed, and the shepherds would go and get rest and find resources and things that they needed, and they would go to sleep, and a gatekeeper or a doorkeeper who was hired to stay awake throughout the night would be at the gate, and only shepherds were allowed to come into the sheep pen. Only shepherds, nobody else. That was the gatekeeper's job. Okay, the gatekeeper was a hired hand. He didn't have the mentality of a shepherd. He didn't have the investment of a shepherd. He was working hourly for a wage. And so you can imagine what his mindset was. But when Jesus tells this story about sheep, about shepherds, about doorkeepers, and about thieves and robbers. This is something that they're very acquainted with because thieves and robbers would try to find some way to get into that flock, into that fold, and shear the sheep, slaughter the sheep, take the sheep away. And in these villages, there would be walls. And oftentimes, a wall would be connected to a housing structure. And the housing structure would be set up, then have a wooden pen inside it. This is not necessarily all that... um, advanced, but there would be a way in which all the sheep were guarded, and the doorkeeper's job was to make sure that no thieves and robbers would try to climb over the wall or over the housing project or through the fence area to try to steal, slaughter, or fleece the sheep. And Jesus is telling this story, and that's the picture that they have, and if you look down at the passage... He says in verse 1, he who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man's a thief and a robber. And Jesus is making something very clear that everybody knows that, well, obviously he's not the shepherd, but he's going to start making the point. And this is the point that he's making to all these people. Now what you've got to understand is that in this crowd are the Pharisees and the scribes, Jewish people and the man who was born blind, and Jesus' disciples. They're all right there, listening to Jesus' message. And he begins to paint this picture about thieves and robbers and hired hands and strangers and all of this. And those who had spiritual eyes to see understood that Jesus was saying, you scribes, you Pharisees, you leaders, you're thieves. You're robbers. You're hired hands. You are self-appointed religious leaders who are doing nothing but abusing the sheep and hurting the sheep for your own personal gain. And what you need to understand is that I have come to bring a reckoning. I have come to bring revelation and illumination to the sheep. Now that's the picture that Jesus paints. And so then he shows us beautifully the positions that he holds. The first position that he holds is that he is the door for the sheep. He's the door. We would expect expected that maybe he would jump right into, I am the good shepherd. No, first he says, I am the door for the sheep. He says, anybody wants out into the green pasture? If anybody wants to to have eternal life and the blessing of God and wants to be taken care of and loved and provided for and all of that, you've got to come through Me. I am the door. There is no other way out. There is no other way through. There is no other way to, to real life. I am the door for the sheep. He's making a spiritual point here. And this is very significant. If you want eternal life, if you want salvation, if you want blessing, if you want the forgiveness of your sins, if you want joy and gladness, if you want satisfaction that increases more and more and more, there is only one way you can find it. And it is through the door. And His name is Jesus Christ. And that door specifically is the cross in which He has died for sinners like you and me. Church, The world, the flesh, the devil, our culture, they all promise to us ways of salvation, ways of deliverance, ways of happiness. And this is what you need to know that every promise that the world, the flesh, the devil, the culture offers to you is nothing but a mirage. It is superficial and artificial deliverance that they're giving because this is what I want to tell you. There is only one way out of the sheep pen. There's only one way out. And it's through the doorway of Jesus Christ. It is through His perfect life, His substitutionary death for sinners on a cross, His powerful resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, and trusting who He is and what He has done for people like me and you. That's the only way to be able to walk through the door and leave the sheep pen of guilt and sin and 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 uh, darkness and all of those terrible things that we feel and experience in our lives and to go into the open pastures of God's love and His grace and His His forgiveness. He's the door. And, And then He switches kind of pictures for us and He says, not only am I the door, but I'm also, what church? The good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who will lead you to that place of salvation. There are a lot of observations that we can make about this text. One of the most beautiful observations that I I made is that the Good Shepherd comes in and He calls His sheep by what? By name. Listen, I want you to know that Jesus is not just making this up for it to sound kind of uh, nice and poetic. Shepherds Actually, named their sheep. Call them nicknames. Here, Black Eye. Here, White Ear. You know, they did call them names, and the sheep would recognize their shepherd calling them by name. And Jesus says, "They will hear my voice. I will call them by name, and they will follow me." I remember when I was growing up, I'd go out to my grandparents' house. And my grandfather had cows, a lot of cows. And we'd wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. It was dark, and he'd go out to feed them before he went off to work. And I'd follow him wherever he go. And, and he would call his cows with this unique, I don't know why he did this, but he would go, Eeeh, now. Hee, now. And those cows would just come up to him, and then he would feed them, and he'd make sure they had water, and he would even pet some of them. And I was just in awe of that. And sometimes during the day on a Saturday when I would be out there, I'd run out to the pasture, and as a kid I'd be like, "Hey, now. Do you think one of those cows came to me? Not one cow came to me. They didn't know my voice, but they knew his voice. And not only did they know His voice, they came to Him every time because they knew that this was the one who cared for them and fed them and watered them. I want you to know, church, that Jesus is a good shepherd. And, And when He calls out His sheep who have been elect from before the foundation of the world, His sheep hear His voice. And they say, I recognize that voice. And they come to Him. And they allow this shepherd to lead them out. And to feed them. To water them. To protect them. To care for them. That's the beauty of Jesus. That He is a good shepherd. I I spent some time with an individual recently who was concerned for their salvation. And I actually opened to this passage. And we walked through it line by line, verse by verse. And finally the person asked me, but how can I know if the shepherd is calling my name? And I said, he's calling your name right now. He has come to you and is speaking to you through His Word and is saying, leave the sheep pen of your sin. Leave the sheep pen of your helplessness and your inability to get yourself out of this mess and out of this danger. And follow Me. Because you will find life, you will find hope, you will find pasture, and the Good Shepherd will protect you. Now, now mind you, It doesn't mean that your life is not going to be without peril. It's not going to be without struggle. The blind man immediately became seeing and he lost the faith family that he had experienced and possibly even lost his mom and dad because they were choosing this old Judaism over Christ. The blind man himself who found the Good Shepherd was still with problems and still with issues, but what he experienced is exactly what Jesus promises, and that is the abundant life. That word abundant means overflowing, more than you need, super abounding, in that the more you follow your Shepherd, the more you know joy. The more you listen to His voice, the more satisfaction that you have through your difficulties, through your problems, and the more hope that you have that He who who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have hope. You have life. You have a future because the Good Shepherd is calling you by name and bringing you out of the sheep pen of your helplessness. And so the position that He holds is not only the door, but also the Good Shepherd. And church, this is what I want to tell you. We are helpless, endangered, Directionless sheep in need of rescue. And Jesus is the door for our salvation and the good shepherd who leads us there. He comes to us when he did not have to come to us. He calls us by our very name. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. And then He leads us out and He provides for us in such a way that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And then He secures for us a place in the heavenly pastures where there is no helplessness. There is no cluelessness. There is no lack of direction. But there is forevermore time alone with our Good Shepherd that we may revel in His care for us. So this is what I want to call you to this morning. This is what I want to call you to. Well, what am I supposed to do with this, you say? I praise God that Jesus is the door. Praise God that He is the Good Shepherd. I want to tell you to do a few things here, church. First, listen for the voice of Christ and follow Him wherever He leads you. Listen to His voice. Because of what I believe about the Word of God, that it is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word, and so that when this book speaks, God speaks. And what I believe right now is that God is speaking to every one of you right now, and Jesus is saying, come to Me. Follow Me. Come into My fold. And if you don't know Jesus... And all you know is emptiness and struggle and sometimes you succeed and other times you fail and you don't have a center. You you don't have a core. You don't have something that keeps you grounded in your life. I'm telling you, what you need is Jesus. You need the Good Shepherd. And I want to ask you today, come to Him. He's calling you out by your name. I might not know your name, but He does. Listen to His voice right now. Second, love your sacrificial shepherd. Love him. What is beautiful about Jesus' figure of speech here, his metaphor, is that he just goes ahead and he just brings it on home by twice saying, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. David, the first one, man, he was willing to risk his life for animals. Okay? But... Those animals didn't have a soul. They didn't have a heart. They didn't have eternal life. Jesus comes, who is the perfect man, the perfect God-man, who, 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 who should not stoop as so low as to be a man. Certainly not stoop so low as to give himself over to, crim- to uh, criminally uh, leadership of, of the Roman government and Jewish leaders and everything like that. And He says, as your good shepherd, I'm going to lay down my perfect life for your sinful life. And so you can just exchange your sinful life for my perfect life. I'm going to lay it down on my own. Now church, you need to know this if you don't already know it. The Jewish leaders didn't take Jesus' life. The Roman government didn't take Jesus' life. You you can go on and on about whether it's those priests who wanted to indict Him, whether it was Pontius Pilate who wanted to ignore Him, whether it was the Roman soldiers who wanted to make fun of Him and strip Him. And, And I can tell you this, that Jesus gave His own life. Nobody took it. And He gave it. He laid it down voluntarily so you and I could have life forevermore. And so, love this shepherd. Love him. Enjoy Him. Take great satisfaction in Him. Third thing I want to tell you to do is to live in the green pastures of Christ's presence and provision. Live in the green pastures of Christ's presence and provision. And don't don't just see Him as the door. See Him as the Good Shepherd. And so... Open up your Bibles and listen to him speak to you every day. Come to church and and be filled with the Holy Spirit as the people of God who have been redeemed by the Lord the good shepherd speak into your life. Enjoy the good pastures of singing songs to him who has redeemed you out of that helpless state you were in in that sheep pen, but live constantly in the green pastures of Christ's presence. And finally, Look out for thieves and robbers and hired hands. Look out for them. Because thieves and robbers and hired hands in our day and time they look a lot like shepherds. They sound a lot like shepherds. Sometimes they they might even preach a slicker message than real shepherds preach. But what they're in it for is the money. And what they're in it for is for self-exaltation. And what they're in it for is for an easy life. They're thieves and robbers. They're hired hands. Do not follow them. And don't let anybody that you love follow them without you interceding on their behalf to care for them with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about to sing a new song. It's called Reckless Love. I want to, I want, before we sing it, I, I, want, I want to give one little caveat. When we think of the word reckless, we often think of the word, we often think of just without any abandon and any thought or any, any care, just a reckless person. The way we need to think about reckless in terms of God and His love for us is that even though there was danger ahead, there was the mocking of the Roman soldiers, the persecution of the Jewish leaders, the nails in the hands and in the feet, and the scourging of taking off all the skin of the back, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising its shame, so that you and I could be called out of the sheep pen and into His pasture and enjoy time with Him forever. Let's sing it in that vein. Phil, if you guys would come up.